Welcome to Podcast 3 of Financial Frameworks, Learning, Thinking, Deciding, and Acting, where you will build your financial decision-making skills with my assistance. In our first podcast, we outlined the value of using a cost-versus-worth way of looking at financial decisions, and we addressed two problems. Podcast 2 outlined time-value-of-money tools. Two sets of formulas were posted on the website, finframeworks.com, and we began to talk about how to use applied financial analysis, because that's what this is, in solving problems created by inflation. Inflation is now a reality, not just a concept, as it has been for much of the past 20, 25 years. So the issue is to deal with it intelligently and hang on to as much of our money as possible. It occurred to me when preparing for this podcast that since we're on our third episode, And since the concepts that have been and will continue to be presented are interdisciplinary, I thought I think it is worth telling you what common elements will be threaded throughout all of our podcasts so that you can weigh their value and their appeal to you. Our podcasts will be structured around three common threads. Number one, building and modifying frameworks or models to analyze financial problems. Building frameworks. Number two, interdisciplinary thinking gathering concepts, tools, data, and perspectives from various types of informed thought and experiences. And third, learning by doing. Experiential learning tends to stay with the person the longest. In German, it is called Verstehen, which literally translated means to stand through, or as my dad used to say, walk a mile in somebody's shoes, as opposed to Wissenschaft, another German word for knowledge, which means to know or to be informed about something. It does not refer to experience. What learning by doing means for this podcast is that you will work to solve problems just as I do. It may require separate time with a pencil and a paper, or I hear people use computers these days, or just working the problems in your head and then reflecting on them. But in either case, it's an active learning and thinking process. From time to time, I get carried away and work some of the problems for you, but most of the time I will ask you to fill in the blanks on what we're working on, because although we may come to the same conclusions, how one gets there is an individual process that has to be experienced for the knowledge to accrue. Finally, we will always focus on integrating what we're talking about with what you already know. Our topics today will be to answer the inflation questions that I posed in the last podcast, and secondly, to see if analyzing one known inflation item helps us plan for inflation for our entire spending process, and if it applies to other areas. After looking at those inflation questions, we'll look at how budgeting, which we know is hard to do, factors into our financial planning and discuss some steps that can be helpful without being a total pain and being doable within the rest of our very packed, particularly in COVID times, lives. Finally, we'll talk about four perspectives with which you can approach almost all financial issues in order to sort out the most important elements for analysis. Those four perspectives are, number one, cash flow, number two, profitability, number three, return on investment, and finally, risk quantification. Looking at financial problems and analyzing things in these categories has worked for me when applying various investing models that needed to be integrated. These perspectives are not particularly innovative, but they help me keep the different ideas in their perspective areas. Finally, we'll talk about what's coming up and what you can expect to see on my website and the next podcast.
The other reason that I use these four perspectives is students have told me repeatedly that looking at what they were addressing in very simple but concrete terms helps them sort out and eliminate confusion as they tackle a problem that they've never seen before. Okay, number one, inflation. In the previous podcast, we defined inflation as an increase in costs and a loss of purchasing power in the future, and we outlined a way to look at a known product that we use that has been increasing in price significantly, gas. So I asked the question, is there an overall approach to inflation that I can use to control my finances, or does it need to be looked at item by item? There's a lot of advice out there. There are a lot of columns. There are a lot of broadcasts, most of which I think simply describes the issue. They don't really solve a, uh, they don't give you a method for resolving the question. So I introduced a set of questions last time for data gathering to see if we could build a useful method for analysis by examining gasoline purchases and their effect on an entire budget. Here are my criteria for evaluating the impact of increased gasoline prices. You can place these criteria in your keep the ship steady inflation framework and fill in the blanks for yourself to see if it works for you. And you'll see how it works for me. So here are my criteria. Number one, annual gas expenditures for 2021. I went back and found that uh, I traveled about 8,500 miles. The vehicle I use gets around 20 miles to the gallon. So I used 425 gallons of gasoline, and according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average price of gas for 2021 was $3.01. That's a national average. Uh, I looked at the statistics, and we started out around $230, $240 a gallon at the beginning of 2021, and it was over $3 by the end. So thus, we got the $3.01. So my expenditures on gasoline for 2021 was $1,279.25 approximately. Gasoline right now is selling at uh, $4.31, national average according to AAA. Again, multiplying by the 425 gallons, the cost is now $1,827.50 or approximately $548 more. That's a 42% increase. $548 is uh, money in my budget that I have to keep track of. As a percentage of disposable income, that's the third variable here, the Bureau of Labor Statistics again says nationally, gasoline accounts for 4.5% of the average American household's disposable income. Individuals in the bottom 20%, it's over 12% of their income. So it depends on where you're sitting, how much it hurts. But in either case, it hurts. My fourth criteria was the national income average but we're not going to deal with that. We're going to deal with the specific numbers. So then I asked, is there any wiggle room or any flexibility in your disposable income? My answer to that is I try to save 4% of my gross income. So $548 is a chunk of that. It's not all of it, but uh, I need that $548. My next variable is how do I offset the increased gas expenditures, because we're assuming that my income is the same this year, and I was going into 2022 willing to spend the same amount on gasoline. So where does the $548 come from? It comes from one of two areas. I either take it out of savings, three areas. I take it out of savings, 
uh, I give up another expense category, I reduce it, or I alter my behavior. I really uh, am not excited about taking it out of savings. Are there things that I buy? Do I buy books? And so now I'll go to the library rather than buying a book. So I took three top possibilities, and I'll post this matrix on the website. What to me is the value of taking fewer trips? I don't really know how to rank it, so I'll just put two two check marks. What's the value of continuing to spend the same amount? By that, I mean the 1827, not the 1279. What's the value of continuing to continue to use the 425 gallons and spend the increased price? Beside that, I have three minus signs. I really don't want to spend that money. Third option, what is the value of an alternative solution? I would prefer taking fewer trips and I would be willing to give up something and I don't want to pay for it out of savings. Now let's add a couple of caveats here. These numbers are lower than for they would be for a lot of people listening. Of the 8,500 miles, the Bureau of Labor Statistics estimates that the average family spends $3,000 on gas. That was in 2021. And they drove about 12,000 miles with a 23-mile-per-gallon efficiency. So there will be people who spend more than 3000 but the process remains the same. So now that I've done this analysis, I now understand the potential impact on how I spend the funds for this gas, and it's going to cost me about $500 if I don't change. I have to choose between spending it on the gas at an increased rate or not spending it in another area. So what might I do to alter my behavior? I've already said I would consider fewer trips. So what is the lost value? For example, I normally pick up and drop off the mail at the post office about five times a week. The round trip, because we live in the country, is about 15 miles. What is the lost value of reducing that to three times a week or two times a week? The loss is some socialization, but that's not nothing. As I'm sitting here recording this, I'm thinking about picking up the mail in the small town Iowa post office for my parents' drugstore when I was a teenager. It was usually in the morning and was often a source of great entertainment. Some of the employees were relatives, some of them were characters, and a number of customers were always around to, to or to give the workers a few shots. For example, one substitute mail carrier who was quite efficient. I was there one morning when he was explaining to a customer that the regular carrier would be back the following week so she would be getting her mail on time now two hours later than when he delivered it. Things like that are interesting. So socialization is not an inconsiderate matter that I immediately discuss. I think about it because interacting with people I know is important to me. So after going back and forth, a final solution for me is that I will work to spend no more than 10% on gas than I did last year. I will do a better job of planning and consolidating trips. I know where that $125 is going to come from to pay for that increase in gas, and I feel pretty good about that solution. My framework in this case is a balanced budget without because there's uh, I'm not, not counting on increasing revenue. Using this example and talking about budgeting leads into a detailed discussion of budgeting, which is an element of one of the four perspectives, it's part of cash flow, that I mentioned earlier. Budgeting. We've just reviewed how to build a budget for an increased item, gasoline, that is crowding out other items that we need to spend money on. 
let me give you two quick suggestions for applying that methodology to other areas without you having to spend an excessive amount of time. We'll talk more about budgeting later, but let's expand it a little bit. The most important thing is to build a habit to monitor personal or business cash flow, revenues, and costs regularly, particularly as they happen. When you're building this monitoring process, look for two things. Where is income or revenue flexible? Meaning it doesn't have to be spent. Maybe you want to, but maybe it doesn't have to be. And where could expenses be reduced without hurting the quality of life for you, your family, or your business? Focusing on these two areas will cause you to see patterns for potential expense reduction and revenue savings, which in fact is revenue growth. The repetition will cause you to see details you overlooked before. That's what habits do. Finally, as you get better at the process, you will develop a longer-term perspective that will enable you to look farther out and make clearer business decisions. Our last topic, four useful perspectives or ways to categorize financial issues so that if it's something new and foreign to you, you can get a handle on it and not spend a lot of time going back and forth. When I was teaching, because I was teaching adult students, many of whom had significant experience, many of them were managers, and they were good at what they did, they were also smart. I worked hard to boil the significant concepts in finance into what I called a roundhouse approach to finance. A roundhouse is a big turntable that enabled uh, the railroads to bring engines in for repair from multiple tracks. Because of the variety of experiences and the levels of sophistication, finance, which is already complicated to begin with, and approaching it from the application side with a diverse audience made it much more interesting if the issues could be presented in operational terms that enabled the student, or now you, the listener, to focus on issues that can be then explored, developed, and made more complex after the initial analysis through your own independent research. This approach seemed to work in my teaching experience, so we'll apply it here. What I used to do was ask the students to look at finance through one or two core concepts as they built a framework or as they worked to solve a problem. Those core concepts are, number one, cash flow, number two, profitability, number three, return on investment, number four, risk quantification. Like my railroad roundhouse, approaching or a problem or a task on one of these avenues will lead the researcher or the examiner to all of the tools they need to solve the problem. It provides focus. Again, because of the diversity of the audience in the room or the diversity of the audience in this podcast, each person usually picked an avenue that held the most interest for them. Some people were very concerned about risk and not losing any money, so that's the avenue they took. Other people were very cash flow oriented. So let's look at an overview of the four and pose some questions about profitability for discussion for our next podcast. One thing to keep in mind as you're looking at these four concepts is a great line from Thomas Stewart, who wrote a book called The Wealth of Knowledge, Intellectual Capital, and the 21st Century Organization. He stated, the difference between theory and practice is greater in practice than it is in theory. And in this case, clarity is incredibly important. I believe that all the financial decisions that you have made most of your life 
and in the future, in one way or another, you employed four concepts intuitively in the form of questions. Now, as you develop your financial thinking muscles, you can successfully manage the finances of your family or your business or your investments by understanding how to apply these four concepts. Number one, cash flow. Monitoring cash flow. Very simple. Am I taking in more than is going out? And what is the timing? Profitability. Tracking the level of your family's net income or your businesses or a potential investors. You're looking at the net being greater and the benefits or the dollars or the enjoyment being sufficient to meet your long-term goals. Return on investment. How do your personal or business assets produce revenues and profits over time? One way to look at this is wherever you work, what is the value that you add to that place where you work? How do you help them make money? How do you cause them to be better tomorrow or six months from now or a year from now? Finally, risk quantification. Being alert to risks such as inflation or changes in the work environment at your job or uh, when you invest in a stock. Buffett and Munger say, follow the story because if the story changes, you may need to sell the stock. So one assesses potential risks regularly. Each of these concepts provides a different way to look at how your family or your business or your investments are doing in a very practical way. If it's a business, you look at sales, operations, long-term growth, changes in the marketplace, and management in measurable financial terms. These are clear, powerful metrics that help keep businesses close to their customers and create healthy enterprises. So for our next podcast, let's look at profitability. Because profitability is both simple and complicated at the same time, and it's a good lead-in. I can give you something to think about, and we can start out with an interesting topic in podcast four. Let's start with your personal operation. It may be a family and a home, but it's still an operation. Things happen. Work occurs. Activity is engaged in. And after introducing an investment concept, retained earnings, we will look at an investment opportunity with some questions about 2022 for Rivian, an electric vehicle company whose financial results for 2021 were were posted last week. And there are some very interesting questions that apply in all sorts of ways. First, the definition of profitability. Profitability is the net results of revenues received after all expenses have been paid. And we'll just keep it simple with all expenses. We won't engage in any corporate finance, uh, EBITDA, or or any of that uh, detail. In working with profitability, we want to compare results with projections. So in case of your family, did you keep more than you spent, which includes current debt that you incurred last year? Let's assume that the answer is yes. Now let's take the three biggest expense items from last year and project for 2022 using an 8% increase factor for each item. Or if you wish to be conservative, use a higher number more in line with our exercise for gasoline, especially if gasoline is one of the three. Now having made those rough calculations, are you still keeping more than you are spending in 2022? Let's assume that you are. The next big question, what did you do with those funds last year 
in the biz, in a business world, they're called retained earnings. And what are your plans for your re- projected retained earnings in 2022? Either the surplus from your family, your savings, or if you're applying this to a business uh, situation. The basic question is, is, did those retained earnings perform for you the way you wanted? Did you have intentional uses for them? An IRA contribution. Uh, having a uh, rainy day fund for unexpected expenses, filling in a college savings fund, setting money aside to replace a specific aging asset? Or did you not look at those funds as working to contribute to your long-term well-being and they just sat there? Outfits like Berkshire Hathaway judge themselves a lot in terms of their ability to use retained earnings intelligently and make themselves healthier and more productive. So the question that I will leave you with for the next podcast where we'll pick up, how does one evaluate the use of retained earnings on A, a personal level, and B, when evaluating an investment? As before, I hope that this has been helpful to you, and I look forward to bringing you podcast number four. Mike Lee Hinn.